The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. This is Pure Opelka. With Mike Opelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Pat yourself on the back. Go ahead. Go ahead. Reach up. Give yourself a little pat on the back. You made it. You got here. It's Friday. Yes. Thank God it's Friday. And uh, we're all still here. Quick check. Look outside. If you're in the Northeast, sun's shining. Might be a little rainy tomorrow. Who knows? But you made it. It's Friday and it's, and it's okay. Yeah, we got some things we have to get to. But you, you powered through another week. Just like Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail. She powered through it. Remember that? Remember that talking point about a year ago when everybody was speculating, is she okay? She's coughing. (laughs) Yes, but she powered through. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's Friday. It's a Freestyle Friday. We have a myriad things to discuss today. We have North Korea. We have Manafort. We have Manafort's son-in-law. We have gold in them there halls of lower Manhattan. Really? Really? We'll see. We'll see. We have uh, locked and loaded military options. And everybody fretting. Fretting over the rhetoric. Today's going to be an interesting day. Since it is a Friday, we will get a little bit of a faith lift with our buddy Billy Hollowell. Just about an hour and a half from right now. He's actually coming off of a vacation with his family, a a beachfront, oceanside vacation. Because that's the way the Hallowells roll. They go to the Jersey Shore. And we'll check in with Billy because there are a couple of stories that he wanted to talk about this week. And oddly enough, one of at least one of them I was dying to talk to him about. So we will get to that. Uh, at the bottom of this hour, our friend Buck Sexton. Yes, that Buck Sexton, the same guy whose show is now live, starting at 6 o'clock Eastern every night on this here Blaze Radio channel. Uh, that's going to be fabulous. And uh, I have a couple questions of the week. A vital question of the day, however, is about the North Korean situation. And we'll ask everybody on this one. Who pulls the trigger first? Is it going to be America? Is it going to be North Korea? Will it be neither as this potential conflict de-escalates? Or are you unable to decide? Now, I'm, I'm guessing... As I read over all the statements, China, China sent out a message just the way we sent out a message. Every time we say something, and despite the fact that the news thinks that, oh, it's all it's all off the cuff with Trump. He's just talking. He's just talking as he's feeling it. He doesn't have any idea. Are you kidding me? You don't get to where you are just by speaking off the cuff. Now, he will phrase it. He will phrase it in the in a uh, parlance of a common man so that we can all understand it. But I do think the president's smarter than the mainstream media gives him credit for being. I don't always agree with what he says, but I think he's a whole lot smarter. 
Case in point, look at how Keith Olbermann portrays the president. Olbermann has lost his bloody mind <laughs> over Donald Trump. And it's almost fun to watch Keith Olbermann spin out every day. So uh, I'm just, I'm fascinated by that. I understand Doc Thompson's running around the studio. I don't know if he's close by, what? but if he is, uh, yeah, he, what? he what? should what? jump in here. What? What? You know, it's almost as if I'm, I should change your name to Philip Drew. Why Philip Drew? You're not familiar with Philip Drew, administrator? I'm not. I'm not. Enlightened. You need to go and read one of the books that Glenn tortured Pat and Stu with about three years ago. It's possibly the most boring book Glenn has ever suggested. Wow, that's saying something. It is, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Although I did... I, I did like friction, and friction mistakes awesome. were made, but not by me. By the way, are you but, still frettering over rhetoric? Uh, I'm not a rhetoric fretter. I know that, a lot of rhetoric fretters. Is As that a matter rhetoric? Fact, I, I knew uh, rhetoric fretter when he was in the top 100 in tennis in America. Really? That uh, sounds exciting. But he's no more. No more. But no, Doc, Doc you are ubiquitous at that studio. Every time I... I, I Check in. You're somewhere in front of a camera or a microphone. I'm, so just, I'm just waiting here for you anytime well, you need me. Well, now, we talked yesterday on your program, which um, the Morning Blaze heard on these here radio networks. Uh, and I mentioned that I thought this triangulation by the president, the secretary of state and uh, General McMaster, I thought it was really, really well thought out. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel like it was going to cause a military conflict to break out but that's why i asked the question today that's why i jumped in you've been sitting there after your show sucking up all the news as well as all the free food that happens on friday at the studios yes where are you standing on this do you think based on the vital question of the day do you think there's going to be a conflict and who pulls the trigger first yeah i think there's going to be a conflict i've spent a lot of time talking with uh well with glenn and jason buttrell who's on glenn's program and others uh yeah i think something's coming I, that it's a really broad statement because i don't know what that something is i don't know if it's going to be limited to cyber war but we're we're done playing um something is going to happen uh i think you have to play the extremes what's the worst and best case scenario best case scenario a lot of people are going to die and i'm uh, if something happens i don't think we get out of this in more recent wars where it's um a few thousand soldiers as tragic as that is i think you're looking many many more and many civilians as well whether they're south koreans or americans in south korea or americans in the united states um and the economy will not do well who pulls the trigger first i think there will be arguable, um, uh, plausible deniability that they pull the trigger first. In other words, either they will pull the trigger first or we will make it seem that they pulled the trigger first. Hmm. I think so we're, we're smart gonna, enough to go. Well, we're, we're sounding, some people believe we're goading them into it and goading Kim Jong-un into it. But I thought the, uh, the maddest statement yesterday not today because he talks about any any armed conflict would be catastrophic and he's a hundred thousand percent right but i thought the statement about if there is if they do choose to attack mm -hmm. that it will be the end of the regime was 
fascinating in terms of how it was written because all it says is your people are going to live, but you're going to die, little fat boy. Right. Now, here's what you have to remember, and this is this is really um, interesting, and, and always, always play this, always put this first. When it's their perspective, any regime that is dictatorial, any, any dictator, or whether it's an oligarchy or a single guy or whatever, but in particular North Korea, it's like bees or ants. Their sole focus is in protecting that regime, protecting the current state, the regime. They don't care about the people, the structure, anything else, the regime. So if they say something like that to them, hey, the regime's going to be gone, but the people are still going to be there, that is us telling him, we're just taking you out if you keep screwing around. And I think he gets that message. Yep. And I, I especially found, in conjunction with that, the Chinese statement that uh, if if North Korea strikes first, they will remain neutral, meaning basically telling the little fat guy, we ain't bailing you out if you strike first. But if they if they <laughs> if we strike first, they kind of said, you know, we're going to kind of protect the region and our interests here in the region. <laughs> so but that's so, also that's also publicly. What are they saying privately? I mean, pu- yeah. privately, they may be telling the U.S., listen, we're not going to start a bunch of crap. We'll come out and uh, posture a little bit, but don't worry. They could be telling them that, or they could be telling them far worse. I don't think China wants any part of it. As long as China is assured, even if we were to quote-unquote start, you know, pull the trigger first, uh, if China is assured, has reason to believe that we're only going as far as North Korea and only regime change to, to get those nukes, they're going to be fine. They, they have no problem. Uh, the, the main thing that they have, and like North Korea for at this point, they're not even concerned with other communist regimes or whatever. They just want that extra buffer between South Korea and North Korea that if we ever invaded China or went to war with them, we have to go all of that distance if, we're, if it's a land invasion in order to get into their country. Well, and interestingly enough, Russia and China are reportedly joining forces today and doing some serious talking with with the North Korean government. Not a surprise since they both have borders. China's That's obviously bigger. Right, bigger. Russia has but, that um, little skinny piece there with, with North Korea. But I'm more concerned with Russia than China at this point because I think Russia, I don't even think they care. Russia's its own animal. They are interested only in themselves. Their, their allies are just there for their benefit. They're not there to benefit their allies. So if they see an opportunity, a weakened America, why wouldn't they take the shot? Yeah, I think this is a, a fantastic distraction for Russia to keep us busy and, and yep. let them do other stuff on the other side of Russia's massive border to try and uh, get the band back together, as Putin is fond of yep. uh, saying, get the, get the old Soviet Union back together. But now, Doc, we can talk about Russia and, and China mm-hmm. and the Norks and all that stuff all day long. But there's also, it's Friday, there's a burning issue that we need to get to. Uh, Please tell me about the burning Friday issues. The Munsters reboot. Whoa, 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 what, what, no, no, what, what, no, no, what? You haven't heard about the Munsters reboot? The Munsters are rebooting. They tried that on some bad cable thing, a couple, that's, wow, no, tell me. We're... We're, you know what? There was a, a lot of success with the Adams family. Remember? Will this be a movie? Yes, it appears that okay. it will be. With now, let let me run these by you, Lily. Oh, oh, Lily, Grandpa. Yeah, go ahead. Jerry O'Connell as, as Herman Munster. 
Jerry O'Connell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, Eddie Izzard. Do you know Eddie Izzard? No. Who's Eddie Izzard? Oh, you know Eddie Izzard was Dame Edna, right? Oh, yeah. Who is he playing? Um, Grandpa. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. All right. And we're talking Lily. There were a couple of different rumors. I initially heard Sarah Silverman, but I think that's wrong. I believe it's Portia de Rossi. Portia de Rossi as Lily. Yeah. Okay, she's a good actress. Yeah, you paint her up, right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, is, somebody, Ellen, is Ellen Eddy? No, oh. that's kind of interesting. But the Widow's is Peak isn't there. Uh, they've got a couple of unknowns, relatively unknowns. Charity Wakefield as, as the um, sort okay. of culturally and I thought you d- meant as a, as a series. It's not going to work as a series. As a as a, as a movie, as a full length feature a movie. film, that would be okay. That, yeah, that could work if they do it right and script and that. Uh, what was their address? Thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane. Nice. And their pet? Um, the, the dragon under the wh- steps. Right. What was his name? He had a name. Spot, it was Spot. No, that's not it. Yes, it was Spot. What was it? Brad Stags, give it me the business. Spot. It was Spot. Okay, it was Spot. It was Spot. And, and Grandpa he... drove. Grandpa drove a dragster that, for the body, had what? Uh, coffin. Yes, thank you. And where did Herman work? Uh, well, he worked at the cask. I believe he worked at the mortuary. He did work in the mortuary. That was uh, after he was a cop on uh, Car Fifty Four. Where are you? But that was different. Different character, yeah, different but character. Jerry O'Connell. It looks like it looks like the reboot is coming. Could work if they. I'll give you that as a full length. Yeah. But mm-hmm. now here's the bad news. Are you ready? Are you yep. sitting down? Yep, I'm ready. They're going to put him in Brooklyn. Where were they before? In the fictional town of uh, Mockingbird, which is why they lived on Mockingbird Lane. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I could see there's some value in doing it uh, in a in a real place. Now you can tie into some some current event type things in some real places. Well, now Variety's reporting this, so you know it's real. Mm-hmm. And uh, apparently, the money to put this together is coming from Seth Meyers. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's legit. So, you can put some cash. Yeah, that works. You know, there could be a whole bunch of different things, which may, you know maybe. Maybe you see Sarah Silverman there. It's, we'll, we'll see. This, the, the Jerry O'Connell, I mean, Portia de Rossi, Eddie Izzard was good. from the, the failed 2012 series. But I, now, just, I just wish they'd do a full-length feature film of uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monster. I mean, they do something like that. That's, that'd be good. I see. I'd be more of a Beanie and Cecil guy. <laughs> Touche. If we're going to bring a sea monster back into taking, you know, I'm tired of them animating uh, TV shows and movies. I want to take Puppets. animated series and make them oh, into re- that's live action. That's nice. You know, so, you know, but the, Mo- the monsters reboot, and I guess they're going to put them in a bunch, uh, around a bunch of hipsters in Brooklyn. That kind of works. Yeah. So we'll right. see, uh, you know. All right, buddy. I'm a little nervous about it, but we'll thank you for joining the conversation Glad and weighing in on this. Always, always, I'm here for you. Thank you, my friend. All right. That's Doc Thompson, The Morning Blaze, Monday through Tuesday at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern, correct? <laughs> That's uh, Monday through Friday. It's five days a week now. Yeah. 
But we have the TV Monday through Friday as well, starting the 28th. Hey, yeah, um, the, w- when did the cameras start? Uh, the 28th. There, We're working on it now still. Still putting them in the studios here through the 28th. Or, uh, the, you the know they're country. slimming those cameras. That's they make you look skinny. That's why I've been trying to bulk up in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> I hear the camera laws, it shaves off 10 pounds, so I, want, I don't want to lose any weight on camera, so I'm bulking up. That's my Very plan. good. All right. Very good. Well, Thank you, sir. Have a safe drive home. Right, Thanks buddy. for joining the party. Uh, this is Pure Opelka. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. It is uh, Pure Opelka. It was this day, wasn't it this day back in uh, the Reagan era? I think it was 1984 when Ronald Reagan actually freaked out the Soviets when he he was doing a little mic check during the the warm-up before he recorded the the uh, weekly message to the nation. I think it was. Do, do you remember that? It was uh, August 11th, 1984. The president was joking his way through an audio check on August 11th. That I've signed legislation that will outlaw Russia forever. We begin bombing in five minutes. Nobody on the far left thought that was funny, and certainly the Russians didn't find it funny. President Reagan's announcement triggered sort of a red alert, if you will, in the Soviet Union. They, uh, they moved some ships into place between America and Alaska. They, they put a lot of their bombers on alert. And even, even stood everybody onto a red alert into October of that same year. Reagan, just he was just screwing around. It was the mic check. You know, you're supposed to come in before, as we do here, before every show. We have a little, hello, how are you? Check one, test two, how do I sound, Dallas? They tell me. Reagan was doing that. He just tried to be a little funny. And I think it was stinking hilarious, if you ask me. (laughs) We begin bombing in five minutes. So I think some of what Trump says is also meant to do the same thing. For example, yesterday during the extended press event, it was supposed to be a photo op, but yesterday during the press event, somebody asked the president about the expulsion of the American diplomats from, from Russia. And the president remarked, kind of glibly, well, we were looking to save money on payroll anyway. And there is so much indignation right now, going, oh my gosh, look, he's joking about about the men and women of our diplomatic forces. No, he's not. He doesn't want Putin to think that it bothered him. It actually was a brilliant response. Back to... Sun Tzu and the art of war. Don't let him irritate you. Buck Sexton joins us next. I can't wait for this check-in. We'll see what Buck thinks about North Korea, Russia, and all this other stuff. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka, and uh, this is kind of a a flashback Friday after a throwback Thursday, as uh, we welcome in a guy that uh, was there with Pure Opelka in the early days, as Pure Opelka was with him in the early days on the Buck Sexton program. Mr. Buck Sexton, welcome back, sir. Great to be back. What's up, Godfather? You know, the, the truth for everyone listening is that is that Mike was there uh, for me in the early days to actually convince me to do radio and to be a guest when I needed a guest because he was my friend. And other people were like, who are you? I don't know what your show is. But Mike <laughs> was there from day one. Mike is the man. For all of you listening, if you don't know that, Michael Pelka is the man. Well, you're very kind. And, and you know what? I was really excited this week when I heard... Uh, your show, which uh, is now all over the country, syndicated program. Nations Plus, yeah. Yeah, we love this. We, and it's just getting started, is now live on the Blaze Radio Network. It had been on a slight time delay, but now you're 100% live. So this is great news if people, if the old, not that the old crew doesn't know where you are, but if they want to just be able to participate live, this is fantastic. Yeah, I'm so happy. I mean, my my original Team Buck squad from the Blaze Radio uh, can can listen on the Blaze stream now in, in real time, and and that means that if they want to call in or they, you know if they want to be right there with us at every minute, we're going to be six to nine Eastern, and you know I'm just so psyched, and you know it, it's like I'm I'm back in the family. I mean, I, I live in a different city, but you know I'm back in the family. Yeah, where the heck are you now? Are you still in the city, New York? Yeah, I'm. I'm in. Uh, I'm actually in right in the center of Manhattan. So that's that's where I decided to set up shop. I really like uh, noise, congestion, everything being too expensive, and everyone being uh, a socialist. That's that's what I look for when I pick my my living arrangements. So Manhattan. Well, you're you're able to be kind of an individual there. You're you're not just blending in. That's the good part. You can be you. <laughs> Yeah, and I will say that any time I go to a part of the country, like, for example, Dallas, where people have sane politics and love America, it's, it's like a nice breath of fresh air. It's like an immediate vacation from the craziness here in New York because I walk around, I'm like, hey, what's up? What's up, fellow patriot? You know, <laughs> have a good time. <laughs> well, Buck, um, yeah, being in New York, I don't know if you heard about this, but there's a Cheetos pop-up restaurant opening next week. Are you Cheeto-friendly with your uh, with your gluten restrictions? You know, it's funny. I was telling a story recently about how uh, on, on my show, which is Buck Sexton with America Now, for those of you who are listening to Pure Pelco, may not be uh, up on the, on, on the new name, and I, I was... Uh, you know, telling people about how when I was a kid, um, I one of my favorite indulgences was Nestle Quick and Cheetos. You know, I mean, I would drink uh, Nestle Quick and Cheetos, and then now I'm, I'm celiac, so I figured I couldn't have it. I think, I, I, I need to check on this, I believe that most Cheetos fa- flavors are, in fact, gluten-free, which I just found out recently. Well, next Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in Midtown Manhattan, there is a Cheetos pop-up restaurant going to be uh, 
drawing in th thousands. And uh, our chef friend, Carl Ruiz, the Mad Cuban from the Food Network, says he can hook us up. So I'm thinking I might need to be in there on Wednesday, go to the Cheeto restaurant, and then maybe catch a preview of the Groundhog Day musical that the Murray brothers are producing on Broadway. Godfather Opelka, if I can join you at the Cheetos pop-up restaurant, you let me know and I'm there. It would be have to be before your show. Unfortunately, we'd have to try and see. You know what? We'll let after we have our discussion. I'll see if we can work this out. But that would be the greatest reunion. We're, we're getting a band back together at a Cheetos pop up restaurant in Manhattan. Sounds, <laughs> uh, the photos absolutely perfect and fitting in, in every way. By the way, do you, well, do you want to talk about impending nuclear war too, or are we just going to keep it on the on the light side today? Of course. Well, today's vital question, which is a regular feature here on Pure Opelka. Uh, it, who pulls the trigger first, America, North Korea, neither, or you can't decide? Uh, I, I give it. I give it about a ninety-five percent chance of of neither. Um, look, this is this is scary because it falls into the uh, the low probability, high impact category. Meaning, obviously, if anything were to happen here, the possibility for uh, uh, overreaction, miscalculation, and immediate escalation is all too real. So what North Korea thinks may just be another provocation for us may cross a line that forces a response that in turn gets a complete overreaction from North Korea, and this is how the rapid escalation can happen. And, and so that's why when they're talking about firing off missiles at, at Guam, uh, this is this would be new. This would be something that we haven't seen before, and they may be estimating that they can do this without much more than a continuation of the economic and, and political sanctions we've seen in the in the past. But that you know, all it takes is one of the you know one missile to uh, to go go awry, go to the wrong place, actually connect in Guam somewhere. I mean, and now we get to a place of well, what's the U.S. military response and it gets it gets uh, real sticky real fast. It, this is not something that anybody should be uh, taking lightly. Although I do think that right now we still have, uh, when you look at the on the balance of the evidence and and what we've seen and and the statements from North Korea, it still seems likely they understand that they, they do face uh, complete destruction as a state uh, if they were to go military against us in any capacity. But then again, the more you learn about North Korea, Mike, and I can say this, is I've been reading up a lot on it the last few months because I've known this problem is obviously going to continue on. The more you read about North Korea, the more you see that we keep referring to how they're rational, they're rational. Well, there are different levels of rationality, and this is a country where reality is distorted. I mean, it is, it is all seen through the funhouse mirror lens of the Kim autocracy and all of the propaganda that goes along with it. And there's some pretty terrifying stuff. I mean, on the propaganda side of it, I can go into details you know, if people are curious or if you want to know. But uh, this is, we're, we're not dealing with people that just have, you know, economic and boundary differences or something, right? I mean, this is a whole next level of, uh, of aggression and militarism. Yeah, we, we really don't have a great handle on it in terms of those of us who are on the... Uh on the average American knowledge level of this, North Korea is such a protected empire that we only have little bits and pieces of what manages to escape. And so I, I don't think we have a fair handle on this guy 
or actually what's happening there. And I don't think the rest of the people there either have that that understanding. I think they're pretty much you. You want to talk about cult of personality when we had Obama in office? Look at the cult of personality with the Kim family and the Korean people. So it's it's uh, the previous administration here on super steroids. And I think they're they'll just do anything this guy says, no matter what, because they don't know any better. They don't know anything else. You, you hit on a, on a really critical point here, Mike, and that is, uh, and so there's, there's uh, have a twofold response. And, and the point you hit on is that when when people are brainwashed, that means that they have been conditioned to think a certain way. You know, in, in the U.S. and in the West, our uh, perception of the North Korean people is that they are uh, this horrifically oppressed. Uh, a group of, of people that are either in camps or in fear of going in camps. That's all true, but there are also some inside the state, certainly within the military apparatus and, and the political apparatus such as it is, who, who buy into this at some level and who think that they are under siege, who think that they face an existential threat. And, you know, when you, when you start to do a, a, an inside-out analysis from, okay, imagine that you're a North Korean colonel right now, and you've grown up there and you've been subjected to all this stuff. What you see is uh, uh, countries all around the world that are economically strangling your nation. Uh, you see a country very far away with the United States that has put 30,000 or so U.S. troops right across the border ready to invade. I mean, you know, we don't see it that way because we know what the truth is of the moral character of our country and that we do want peace. But from a North Korean perspective, there is much more buy-in to this crazy North Korean state than I think most of us see because, yeah, when a defector comes out, a defector is going to tell this, these horrific stories about the camps and about, you know, I think Christopher Hitchens, Mike, had one of the best descriptions ever of North Korea, which was, he called it a constant, and he had, he had visited, he's one of the rare journalists who actually spent time in all of the axis of evil countries, including North Korea. He said that it was a concentration camp above ground and a mass grave below it. Abs- mm-hmm. Again, absolutely true, essential, we understand that. And the defectors... Uh, speak to that when they when they leave the country. Usually, they flee through China, and then you know sometimes we actually have them speaking to us here in the West. But for example, people forget that some percentage of the defectors actually go back to North Korea. Uh, you know, which is ra- rarely reported on that, that there are people who still, at some level, buy into some of the ideology that was so uh, so jammed into their brains by this regime. And, and I would just recommend to your uh, your audience, to uh, to Team Opelka, um, that there's a book out, and, and I've read it, and I think it really gives a perspective that you won't see in the media on this North Korea problem. And, Mike, just as an aside, I know I'm rambling on about this, but I just, uh, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people go on TV talk about North Korea, and I'm honestly not sure they could name the capital of North Korea, the capital of South Korea off the top of their head, but they're posing as experts on it on TV, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a North Korea expert. I'm an international relations guy, and, and I studied this uh, from an academic perspective. I mean, from a practitioner's perspective, I'm a Mideast guy, as you know, and I served the Mideast, spent a lot of time there. But uh, the book is called The Cleanest Race, and its, uh, its subtitle is How North Koreans See Themselves and Why It Matters. It's written a few years ago, but I think it's so important because this, this analyst, and he's actually the North Korea analyst for The Atlantic, goes through all the propaganda, both the internal and external propaganda of North Korea, to see what do these people really think? What are they being told? What do they believe? 
And it's actually scarier than a lot of people realize. It's a well, fascistic... I, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. I was going to say, I'd imagine. Yeah, this is the, the Cleanest Race is the name of the book. Now I've got my weekend reading on top of what Glenn's given us for the summer. So I, yeah, I the, will... I'll dive I in on it. I want to give people a, a, quick, a quick sense of why it's sure. even scarier. We are, we are taught, uh, I think largely incorrectly, that North Korea is a communist, Stalinist state along the lines of the Soviet Union and China. It borrows from some of those political, uh, from some of those political systems, but in terms of its real ideology, its core state values, it is really more, as you said, it's actually a cult of personality along the lines of a World War II fascist state, a Hitlerian state, for example, where racial supremacy and vile uh, racial supremacism are actually central to much of the messaging from inside the state. And once you believe that other races and other people are subhuman and less than you, and that you have to unite behind one leader because those other races are trying to eliminate you, anything is possible, Mike. So this is why I think it's important for people to uh, to look through this, get a sense of it. And, and um, I'm sorry for the uh, continue. I, I wanted to have more of a back and forth with you, but I think this is a uh, an important message for people to hear. It's really important, and that's why I'm glad you came on today to do that and also to tell people more of this nightly at 6 o'clock live as Buck Sexton. Uh, what, um, give me the correct title, Buck. The Buck Sexton Program it's, on it's, One it's, America? It's, it's it's Buck Sexton with America Now. It's 6 to America 9 now. Eastern, carried live. It's a nationally syndicated radio show, but it's carried live on the Blaze Radio Network, 6 to 9 Eastern. And, of course, if you miss it and you want to hear it, you can always download it on iTunes, for those of you listening. And uh, with that, sir, I, Mike, great to talk to you, man. Let, let's go get some, uh, some gourmet Cheetos when you're in town. I will uh, alert you off air. Thank you, my friend. We'll, Thank we'll you, speak brother. Soon. Good luck. Talk to you soon. There he goes. The great. Buck Sexton, who's also a great friend, and that's more important than anything else. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. I enjoy talking to Buck Sexton. I also enjoy sharing with you guys moments uh, that I stumble into that give me hope. And such a moment happened yesterday when I found this little video on the YouTubes of a, a, a little brother and a little sister, a brother and a sister in an SUV in the car wash, and the little sister was scared to death, and her big brother decided he was going to keep her calm. She's so nervous. This this wonderful video has the young boy, he can't be like more than three or four, reaching out to this toddler and holding her hand as they enter one of those drive through car washes. She's got tears in her eyes. She's terrified. Mommy! 
just a wash, he keeps telling her. It's a car wash. This video is two and a half minutes. And if you really want to see what family is about, I, I'm going to tweet this out. Days like today, when we're all worried that the whole world's going to blow itself up, you have to know that at the center of it all, boiled down to the, the tiniest bit of one human and another, we will take care of each other. It's just wonderful. I know it's silly, but you have to watch it. Give yourself a two minute and 24 second break today and then we'll be right back after the news. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka only on the Blaze Radio Network. Yeah, welcome back. Second hour, Pure Opelka. I'm happy to be here on a Friday. I'm happy it's Friday. And yes, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Eastern, we will be here to kick off your weekend because I know what you're saying. That's that's just like 15 hours after you finish this show. You're back with another one. Yes. Yes, we love the radio. We absolutely love the radio and very blessed, very fortunate, very lucky, very thankful to have this job. And I, I want to I wanna always try and give two bucks for every buck I get. So that's why I, I'm, I'm just telling you, if you can find something in your life that you obsess about and love doing, try everything you can to do it. You know, we talked to uh, Phil Lempert yesterday, the supermarket guru. He loves what he does. And he's become very successful at doing it. And it looks like Phil will be a regular with us now, once a week, every week. Dr. Jorge, a medical man who, uh, who loves his work, has been working in internal medicine and in the field of HIV and AIDS, as well as just regular medicine, loves his work as a doctor, and it's made him successful. And I think that if you're lucky enough to find something, it, for me, it came late in life. I didn't bounce out of college and immediately get into radio. It took a long time to find it. And eventually, an avocation became a vocation. And it's all about paying attention. And, and I will tell you this. As we are, are faced with a, what has scared a lot of people these days, this, this North Korean issue, a lot of folks are freaking out. As we're faced with this, I go back to the day that I knew I was headed to talk radio and news, and it was September 11th, 2001. It was on 9-11 when I was involved with a wacky morning show and that uh, my life forever changed, and I never looked back. It went from that point, always arcing towards where we are now. And I feel I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be. So if you find it, if you hear it in your head, go for it. 
even if it means taking tiny steps to get there. Just make one step closer every day and eventually you'll wake up and you're there. Okay, sermon over. If you want to join the conversation today, 888-900-3393-888-900-3393. I did tweet out a link to that uh, big brother comforting his terrified little sister in the car wash because I just think it's two minutes of just wonderfulness on a day that we're surrounded by, like I said, a lot of people freaking out. And we did ask a vital question of the day today about the North Korean situation, who will pull the trigger first. And I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of comforted by the way the, the early voting is going in this, uh, in this Twitter poll. It's posted on my, my Twitter page at StuntBrain. Uh, it, it, basically shows that only 8% of you believe it's going to be America pulling the trigger first. 33% think uh, it's going to be North Korea. Almost 50% of you think neither, that this will de-escalate, and 10% of you cannot decide. But you're worried, and I think that's fair. You know, it is, uh, it's 12 and a half hours ahead of us in in Pyongyang, in North Korea right now. And they have some weird time that they wanted to be different than the rest of the world, so they added a half an hour. The news out of uh, all of the news channels, quoting the president's tweet where he talks about military solutions and we are, we are ready and we are, quote, locked and loaded. Well, my comment to every news channel that is hyperventilating over the president's statement about us being locked and loaded, isn't that the job of the military? Aren't they supposed to wake up every day, take an assessment of what's going on in the world and make sure that we are ready for any eventuality? Isn't that what we pay all this money, all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that we pour into our defense systems? We better be, we damn sure better be locked and loaded every single day. We have to know what every threat is, where it is, and where it stands each and every day. Now you know I have so much respect for the American military. It, it really is an amazing, amazing thing that our military is able to do this. Now the Korean Missile... Everyone's reporting a Korean missile would reach Guam in 14 minutes. And a couple days ago, Guam didn't seem to be too worried about it. Right after Kim Jong idiot said that, there seems to be just oh, no worries. And now, suddenly, the front page of the Guam newspapers and the Guam Homeland Security are publishing what to do in case of a missile attack. So I, um, I'm happy to tell you that not only is the, uh, the Guam government posting this, but if you go to ready.gov, and I'm gonna, I'll post a link to this as well. If you go to ready.gov, you can, you can be informed educated and prepared on a number of things, myriad situations. For example, if you want to know about emergency alerts, like when you get those amber alerts or the silver alerts, 
or an active shooter situation, a bioterrorism attack, a chemical emergency, a cybersecurity attack, what to do in a drought, an earthquake, explosions, extreme heat, floods, etc. It's all there, including a nuclear blast. Your government has posted on its website an entire list of what you can do in case of a nuclear blast. Now, if you didn't know it, the United States government has even educated us to say that a nuclear blast is an explosion with intense light and heat, a damaging pressure wave, and widespread radioactive material that can contaminate the air, water, and ground surfaces for miles around, and they should add in there, for a hell of a long time. A nuclear device can range from a weapon carried by an intercontinental missile to a small portable nuclear device transported by an individual. All nuclear devices cause deadly effects when exploded. Okay, now do we understand? Now the potential targets are listed, thanks to the government ready.gov site. In general, the strategic missile sites and bases, the centers of government, such as Washington, D.C., and any state capital, Important transportation and communication centers, so airports, yes, airports, train stations, manufacturing, industrial technology, and financial centers, hello, New York, petroleum refineries, the electrical power plants and chemical plants, and major ports. Why don't you just say pretty much everywhere except the flyover states? Now, there are three factors for protecting oneself from radiation and fallout. Three factors, distance, shielding, and time. The more distance between you and the fallout, the better. Well, I think that's uh, kind of a given. An underground area such as a home or an office building basement offers more protection than the first floor. Again, a given. Shielding, the heavier and denser the material, thick walls, concrete, bricks, books, and earth between you and the fallout, the better. So the thicker the walls, the deeper you are, the farther you are from the fallout, the better. And the time. Now they do say the fallout radiation loses its intensity rapidly and that at, over time you'll be able to leave the fallout shelter. That's not what they told us. They told us that, you know, it could go on for a long, long time. Radioactive fallout poses the greatest threat during the first two weeks, which means you're going to have to spend two weeks in the basement with your neighbors. No wonder people are freaking out. Now, there are two kinds of shelters. The blast shelters, which are constructed to protect against the pressure, that initial heat and fire, because, yes, there's a fireball that follows. Then there's the fallout shelter, which constructed to, pro get, to protect against, obviously, stuff coming down from above. I remember I talked to you about the JFK fallout shelter, the bomb shelter that was underneath the house he rented in Virginia. Did I ever post that? I need to post that video. Before a nuclear blast, there are things you can do to protect yourself. Not that I'm telling you there's a nuclear blast pending. But, you know, we, we talk about being prepared. And do you have a week's worth of food at your home? Do you have a day's worth of, of canned goods or stuff you could survive on? Two days, three days? What about medicines? 
just in case the power went out for a few days. The government on ready.gov has actually put on a couple of links here so you can set up how to, how to plan for your family and how to set up an emergency supply kit. It's not a dumb idea. I think it's a really smart idea to have a few of the things they have here because all of this relates to just being generally prepared in case the power grid goes down for a couple of days, in case there's a hurricane that cuts off power and or access for a couple of days or a week. It doesn't hurt to have a plan. So I'll tweet out a link to this because I think this is pretty darned interesting. And there are some things you can share with other people. But for all of the panic that's associated with the thinking of a nuclear blast, nuclear attack, we also have the comfort in the reality that it's highly unlikely it's going to happen here. And it's an even greater improbability that it'll happen to you or I, unless you or I are sitting on top of the White House or the Capitol Dome in Washington, D.C. So I'm just, I'm just saying that with all the talk, what you can learn from the government site on ready.gov is how to prepare yourself just in case you might need to be off the grid yourself for three, four, five days, perhaps even a week. It shouldn't take a nuclear blast to make you worry about this, but I guarantee you, once you put a kit together, once you decide that you're going to go out and buy a couple of extra canned goods each time you go to the grocery store and check off your nuclear or emergency preparedness kit, once you do that and you have it locked up, you'll be a little less stressed when you think about any of these problems. Just a little less stressed. And that's a good thing. When we get back, I still have to get to my discussion of these senators. And the Senate seats, I think, are very vulnerable. There's 10 of them. And if they do flip next year in the, uh, in the 2018 election, it's going to have a serious effect. Uh, there's also a pretty strange lawsuit we have to get to. Some back-to-school advice from Chuck Woolery and uh, a couple of other really strange stories that are floating out today. And, of course, Billy Hallowell, our buddy from Faithwire, stops by every Friday for a uh, Friday faith lift. And I think we're especially due for one of those this week. We'll be right back. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka. Part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. One of the things that you need to include in your survival pack, you know, for, for the big one. When the, when the big one drops, if you go to ready.gov, which I tweeted out the link to the nuclear survival story from the, the government. But one of the things you need to include in your survival kit it's, of course, relief factor, because I already have 
believe it or not, yes, I, if you ever stop me, you can say, let me see your survival pack, because I have one in the back of the car that's good for five days, just in case. A two-person, five-day survival pack. And in there is a three-week quick start pack, unopened from Relief Factor. Because I take Relief Factor three times a day, every day. I started back in April. Relief Factor is an all-natural, 100% botanical and fish oil product that helps reduce inflammation in your joints. And inflammation is what causes pain. Get rid of the inflammation. Guess what? The pain is gone. The pain is gone. You get your life back. You don't need to take anything else. And I don't. I take relief factor three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. If you try the three-week quick start pack, I hope it works for you the way it worked for me. They've sold over a million of them. And they're nineteen ninety-five, less than a cup of coffee a day. 80% of the people who get it will reorder it. So here's what you do. You go to relieffactor.com. You get the basic information. You can either order online or you can pick up the phone and talk to someone and ask questions. 800-500-8384-800-500-8384. It's Relief Factor. It's worked for me and it's in my bug out bag, okay? It is. I want you to try it and I hope it works for you. All right, so much to get to today. Just around the corner, I told you we'll be talking to Billy Hallowell. And uh, I, I don't know if Billy's been to this place. I think it might be good for Billy to go there and do some investigative work. It's a museum in New York City that's currently embroiled in a pretty serious lawsuit. I don't know if you've ever been to museums where they have kind of interactive displays. Uh, this one did. And... Um, there's a, a pretty substantial lawsuit between um, the museum and this woman. She went into the interactive display uh, called Funland. And uh, while she was in there, um, she cracked a tooth. She broke her nose and had blood gushing from her lips. She had to be rushed to the hospital ultimately needed a dental implant. Her nose had to get fixed. She laughed and apparently, according to the lawsuit, suffered uh, emotionally. She's distraught, at least according to the court papers. She is saying that the museum was negligent. And as such, she's asking for a large settlement. She's saying that it allowed a, a hard structure, perhaps steel even to be underneath the experience that she was in the uh, funland experience she was in the exhibit was uh, shut down twice before her injury apparently for repairs now what the funland was is um it's a bouncy house for grown-ups inside the manhattan museum of sex and the, the Museum of Sex has left this woman battered and bloodied and scarred uh, because the bouncy house, the fun land inside the Museum of Sex, apparently, um, instead of having just regular balloons, these were um, what the museum has called, and I'm using air quotes here, boob bags. They're giant inflated breasts. 
And this woman and her friends decided this would be a titillating experience that they needed to jump for joy inside the Funland bouncy house. Well, she's got a new nose now and some new teeth, and she's also involved in a, in a lawsuit. I don't know how this has come out, but uh, perhaps Billy Hollowell, who may have visited this museum sometime in his past, I know he, he still spends time in New York City, perhaps he can give us a, an eyewitness report on whether or not this bouncy house for grown-ups still exists. If not, um, I, I'm betting Jeffy is interested, or perhaps the Blaze's own junk reporter, Kate Scanlon. We'll be right back with a faith lift. We need it. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Joining us now on Pure Opelka, as he has been doing regularly for the past couple of weeks, is uh, our buddy, our pal, uh, the demon incarnate himself, Billy Hallowell from Faithwire. How are you, my friend? I'm good, and I just want you to know I'm actually interrupting my vacation to, to do this with you today. So, you know, feel feel very special, Michael Palka. I, I do feel special, and I appreciate it, but you've been tweeting like a guy who, who's eaten his last <laughs> meal before the gas chamber. Come on now. I'm telling you, look, usually vacations are not relaxing because I feel like with the kids, you're just, like, chasing them around. But for some reason, we, we decided to go to Ocean City, Maryland, and for, we've never been here before, and for some reason, it's been incredibly relaxing, and I've just been on Twitter nonstop. It's been great. I've had the time to actually tweet. Well, good. now, I love you You in Ocean City, Maryland, uh, means two things. It means you came through Delaware and did not let me know, so we couldn't see you, so that's a strike against, <laughs> and yet it's a credit in, on your behalf as well. <laughs> but um, you posted pictures and a little video earlier this week somebody did the last supper in a sand sculpture there oh this guy he's amazing it's this artist and it's a crazy story we're actually going to be having a story on monday on faithwire with video and photos but it's this guy who's been doing it for like three decades down um, on first street between first and second street in ocean city and it's basically sand sculptures that he builds every two weeks he um, puts them out, and he puts this coating of this plastic, I don't know what it is, over it so that the the weather doesn't hurt these sand sculptures. So they actually stand for two weeks, and one of them is, was the Last Supper. Um, there was this giant heart. There was another one of Jesus' face. I mean, these are incredible. And this guy's an ordained minister and an artist, and he came here years ago and saw someone else doing something similar, and he has just stayed there, and he puts Bible verses out. And it's crazy because it's right on the boardwalk and we had heard about it you know we had read about it before we came here and it's i guess it's a huge thing like everybody goes to see it here and so of course we we went down there right away to check it out and it was it was really incredible so i wish we were here another two weeks to see what he does next but um but yeah and, and i think you know this is a guy who like lives off of donations too he's this amazing artist who could probably huh. be making a ton of money 
And here he is, you know, as a minister, sort of trying to serve people in a really cool way. Uh, so I, I love it. It's great. Well, the pictures that you had on your Twitter feed, and you should follow Billy on Twitter if you don't. The pictures did look amazing. I'm always impressed by people who do sand sculptures to these amazing details and down to these, I, I don't, no pun intended, granular levels. Uh, the way they can craft images into the sand. It's just, I don't have the patience. I, I'm not able to do it. But speaking of ordained ministers, um, Hillary Clinton is talking about doing what I've done years ago and becoming an ordained minister. <laughs> Here's what I love about this story, okay? It's such a Hillary Clinton story because uh, allegedly she's had this, quote, secret dream to become a minister. Um, <laughs> the way that the story is told, and I, and I love this, is that she wanted to do it secretly for so long, but she was afraid it would hinder her political career. And I laughed to myself because I thought, of course, of course she's afraid it's going to hinder her political career. There's no more Hillary Clinton of a story than Hillary Clinton wanting to become a pastor but refusing to answer God's call because she's afraid it would hinder her political career. Um, but I do think it's interesting, if it's true, that, and obviously I think that the type of, you know, the form of faith that she subscribes to is a progressive Christianity, I would imagine, and not one that I'm very familiar with uh, as someone who follows you know, the traditional Christian faith. But I do think it's interesting, and I'm not going to totally slam her, because, look, if this is something she wants to do, um, you know, great, go, go for it. But but the fact that she she allegedly paused because um, she was afraid of hurting her career just made me laugh. This is, this is so amazing, because the Clintons, who... <laughs> can you imagine if they started a church? And if, I can't if, imagine it. <laughs> If we go back and they suddenly have a television ministry and you've got Bill and Hill and then Chelsea doing like the singing and and Bill, they're up there on the couch on your TV. Every, now like what we baby. need everybody to do is send in your donation right now to the first church of the second chance with Bill and Hillary because oh, everybody deserves. Say it with me, Chelsea. A second chance, Dad. That's right. That's right. Amen, sister. I, it's 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 so ready to happen. <laughs> it is. It is. It, yeah. Look, and I don't want to. If, if this is something that she genuinely wants to do, it's sort of strange to me. And, and look, the, this stuff is all coming out as her pastor, the guy who has written, who had written her daily devotionals, released a devotional book of the devotional he was sending to her. So you know, these are things that are put out there to sell books, and I. It's hard when it comes to faith because you get a little bit turned off when people are trying. And, and I know this is somebody who's tried to sell books around faith, but I, I think there's a certain line that you cross that, where I hope that this is true, that this is something she really wanted to do, or else it just feels a little dirty that they're using this to sell a book. But yeah, and this isn't a book that she wrote. Again, it's a, her pastor wrote it. But I just love the fact that, she, that, oh, no, I can't. I might not be able to answer this secret call because... You know, and by the way, you know, for Christians who believe they're called into ministry, it's like the biggest call for them to, to give up everything and become, you know, a pastor. So the fact that she wouldn't do that, <laughs> it just it makes me, it gives me joy, and it shouldn't. <laughs> well, it ring to me, it rings as hollow as that statement. Remember when someone uh, there was a church group meeting with Nancy Pelosi when she was the speaker. And they said, "What's your favorite word?" And she goes, uh, uh, "My favorite word is the my favorite word is the word. Yeah, the word. It's the word." 
Look, the problem with all these people, and this is what drives me crazy, and, you know, I, I have friends who will fight with me on this, you know, a lot of liberal friends, and they'll say, oh, you know, you're wrong, the Bible's whatever you want it to be. No, the Bible, there are, there are certain debates in the Bible, obviously, and that's why we have so many denominations, and we have Protestants and Catholics. There are debates, and there are issues to debate, but I think there's a lot that's pretty clear-cut that we decide to debate just because we want to make ourselves feel better about the things we say we believe and the things we want to do, especially when it comes to politics, and Nancy Pelosi's a great example of that. You know, you can call yourself a Catholic all day long, but when you're rejecting every single element of what the Catholic faith stands for, it starts to become curious that you're still calling yourself a Catholic. And then they try to sort of change what Catholicism is to adapt to what they believe. And I think that's that's when you get that's when it just gets a little bit dangerous and silly. And I think too many people on the left, you know, this is sort of an issue where they just try to they're now trying to instead of rejecting faith trying to adapt the faith to what they believe on different issues. And I, and I think that that's a little, and the right does it too, but I, I think we see it a lot more on the left, and it's sort of unfortunate. But I love that. I, I love when, whenever Pelosi talks about faith, I light up because I also find myself very, very entertained. Well, she, Pelosi is what my mother would call a cafeteria Catholic, somebody who would walk down the aisles of Catholicism and say, I'll have one of those, but no, I don't want any of that. <laughs> I'll, t I'll take one exactly. of those, but yeah. So yeah, she's a cafeteria Catholic, uh, as uh, my, my late mother used to say. Now, Billy, as our resident demon, and I say that with tongue firmly planted in cheek, you are one of the people who pays attention to all the exorcisms that are going on. I think you have an exorcism index at your house that you keep track of weekly. <laughs> to see how many exorcisms are going on just to see what's going on with demons what is this what is this common activity you're saying we have to avoid at all costs uh in order to avoid demonic possession like you yourself have experienced <laughs> Well, you know, I, I love these stories because everyone gets freaked out by the end times, which, you know, I had a chance to write quite a bit on. And, and also, you know, possession and, and infestation. It's like, all oh, these things are so strange. But, you know, these are big elements, I mean, of, of faith. And they're things that are talked about in the Bible. And so they're things Jesus talked about. So it's sort of funny to me that we want to avoid talking about them because they seem too weird to us. Um but we believe so many other elements. So anyway, when it comes to the possession topic, there's a new movie, Annabelle. Um, Annabelle, a creation that's coming out actually today. And look, these movies are Hollywood. They're, they're taking their own spin on evil, and they're not really obviously biblically sound. But it is interesting that in promoting this movie, there's a priest, um, Father Robert, out in L.A., who is helping. And he's with the diocese out there, and he actually didn't want his full name published. But I interviewed him. A number of other outlets have interviewed him about Annabelle. And it was something that the publicist had actually lined up from the movie. So it was interesting that a priest was sort of diving in, and I think he probably saw it as an opportunity to talk about these real-life themes. And he talked a lot about, in this interview I did with him, the Ouija board, and how so many people look at the Ouija board as just a game, um, but how it's not just a game. And for some people, it can be something far more sinister, and you can be inviting evil in. And it was a really interesting interview. I'd encourage people to go to faithwire.com and check it out. We actually have two different pieces from that interview up on the site right now, and they're trending in the most popular section, because I think people are interested in these topics, right? They want to know, okay, well, is the Ouija board just a board game? You know, we've done some stories in the past, the history of the Ouija board, even if you don't believe and you think it's just a silly board game, is incredibly creepy. Um, and so you can check some of that out um, over on faithwire.com. But he basically says, avoid it, don't go near the Ouija board, and don't take evil for granted that this stuff exists and can have a real impact on your life if you invite it in.
So is there a Ouija board in your house for research purposes? Never. I have never touched one and would never touch one. I am what you can call me a paranoid freak. I, I have actually known people and I don't, you know, here goes the crazy faith person, but you know, I've known people who have had a lot of issues after they've used them. I've also known tons of people who have touched them and never had a problem. But, you know, I'm, I'm a believer that if you're trying to tap into something, you sometimes will get a response. And even if it only happens one out of 10 times, that's one out of 10 times I don't want to be involved or be near it. So no, I do not play around with the Ouija board, but I do think I do think it's fascinating. And remember, this guy, by the way, this priest, he trains all the priests who do exorcisms. So he's like the trainer. And I'm probably saying too much because they don't want too much of his identity out there. He's very cautious due to the work he does. But this is someone who isn't just out there spouting ideas. He's someone who's seen a lot of this stuff in action. So I found it kind of fascinating to hear what he had to say about it. Well, I'm I'm totally in sync with you on the Ouija board thing. Uh, as growing up, I remember people would say, hey, let's bring out the Ouija board. I'm like, I am out of here. I do not want to see the carpeting open up and all of you get sucked down into hell. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't need any you know, spirits. Hear, <sighs> you'll, hear the, you'll hear people say, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. But I'm telling you, I know legit people who aren't crazy who have had some nutty things happen to them as a result and after. So, so you know... I'm, I have no interest. I'm, I'm good just reading about it and writing about it. I don't need to touch it. <laughs> I'm, I'm so with sorry, all you Ouija board sellers, you're not going to get a push from us. Well, Billy, nope. I so appreciate you making time for us on your vacation. And uh, I, I can't wait. I'll, I'll tweet out a link to the this story about uh, Annabelle creation, because it is fascinating to me. And also Monday, we'll look forward to seeing the, uh, the Sandcastle version of The Last Supper, which really was wonderful. Really was really Amazing. cool to see. Amazing. Thank you, my well, friend. Have a safe drive me. home. Hmm? Thanks. Thanks for putting up with me, Opelka. Get out of here, you demon. Get thee behind me. <laughs> <laughs> Have a great weekend. See you next you time. We'll be right back. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. I do appreciate Mr. Hallowell stopping by. I think uh, our weekly visits are just what we need before we get into a uh, Saturday. And I didn't get to ask him. I didn't get to ask Billy where he stands on uh, on the uh, North Korean thing, and if in fact he carries. Um, if he carries a, a go bag in the back of his car, Billy's got two little ones. So I would imagine he's prepared for just about any situation. Cause I, I don't know any parent worth their salt who does not travel with three days of juice boxes and supplies. So God forbid anything happens. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Billy would be able to survive and the kids would be able to survive easily just with what they have brought for snacks. And uh, I didn't tweet it out yet. I will tweet out a, um, a, the uh, link to Billy's story because he is on Faithwire. And again, if you're not following Billy on Faithwire, uh, you should. I'm keeping an eye on something that uh, deals with our friend Dana Lash. 
Dana, nationally syndicated radio host, but also a television host here on the on the Blaze. Earlier today, Dana was accused of pretty much being a, a domestic security threat by an elected member of Congress. Representative Kathleen Rice, who is a congressperson out on Long Island in New York. Shock, she's a Democrat. Also anti-Second Amendment person. Has, um, has come out and said that Dana Lash and the NRA are quickly becoming domestic security threats under President Trump. We cannot ignore that. Congresswoman, um, excuse me, you're an elected representative of the people. You are calling a licensed broadcaster and a licensed concealed carry person who's probably the best shot at the blaze. I'm just saying. I know a lot of people would debate that, but I'm thinking, I'm thinking Dana's the best shot at the blaze and also the safest person to handle firearms right up there with Glenn and I like to think myself. But we'll be following this. I think an apology is in order from Kathleen Rice. We reached out to her office. We have yet to hear back. More in the third hour of Pure Opelka just around the corner. Come on back. With Michael Belka on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Pure Opelka with Michael Pelka. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. It's a Friday, and I'm not sure what the heck is going on. There's some strangeness going out there in the Twitter universe. Our old buddy Skip Lacombe is apparently... I don't don't know what he's up to. That's all I can tell you. I don't think so. It's a mystery to me. But in the meantime, North Korea says Donald Trump is driving us to the brink of nuclear war. No, you're in your own car and you've got your own keys, Mr. Kim Jong-un, Mr. Dear Leader. It's just uh, take responsibility for your own actions, people. I, I don't believe we're on the brink. And, you know, it's talking about our, our um, question of the day, our vital question of the day, which relates to this. Who pulls the trigger first? of you believe we will, 31% of you believe North Korea will, 53%. We now have over a majority. 53% of you believe neither because it de-escalates and 8% can't decide, but you're worried. Now, here's the situation that we're now getting 
some word from uh, inside sources. Not only are Russia and China working to try and prevent the conflict between us, but we are hearing that there are back-channel talks between the United States and the North Koreans, which is probably what should be going on. But uh, in terms of in terms of what we've done in the past, there's been a general sense of appeasement with past administrations towards towards North Korea. There um, there have been a series of of deals that have been struck over the years that uh, I think we need to be aware of because we know North Korea is not exactly uh, something or someone, a, a nation that will live up to its deals. For example, November 18th of 1994, President Clinton approved a plan to arrange more than $4 billion in energy aid to North Korea over the next decade in return for a commitment from North Korea to freeze and gradually dismantle its nuclear weapons development program. That was 1994. 23 years ago, we gave them $4 billion in energy aid. All right, so then let's fast forward to 2005, you know, after that 10 years. In uh, 2005, September 19th, North Korea agreed to end its nuclear weapons program in return for security, economic, energy benefits, potentially easing all those tensions with the U.S. after uh, a two-year, like, cooling-off period here, a standoff that we had with North Korea because they wanted to build a, a nuclear bomb. That was in the New York Times. Also in the New York Times, in October of, of 2007, North, agree, North Korea has agreed to disable all of its nuclear facilities by the end of the move, end of the year, in a move the Bush administration hailed as, uh, well, it's kind of special, right? As a model for how to deal with Iran and getting them to rein in their nuclear ambitions. So we went 1994 to 2005, to 2007. Let's go again to the New York Times in 2012. 2012. North Korea announced on Wednesday it would suspend nuclear weapons tests and uranium enrichments and allow international inspectors to monitor activities at its main reactor complex. This was a surprise announcement, which apparently had something to do with a diplomatic impasse that has allowed the country's nuclear program to continue for years without oversight. So they've been going on for years. That was three years ago. Where are we now? As many as 60 nuclear bombs in North Korea's hands. So it didn't happen overnight. I don't think it gets solved overnight either. But I do believe that the president's right to say we can't let a nuclear North Korea stand. They're just not they don't work and play well with others. If we're going to if we're going to treat them like like uh, the kindergartners that they sound like, they don't work and play well with others. 
And I just think that's kind of important to make note of. So, here's where we are. Most of you believing that nothing's going to happen, that it's going to de-escalate. And I hope you're right. I think we need to hope we're right on this one. I think we need to hope that the people we have in charge actually are doing what we're paying them to do. So uh, I really believe I really believe we're going to resolve it. And I sincerely believe, as I said at the beginning of the show, and I said with Buck Saxton, who if you missed the first hour of the program, Buck Saxton, whose show is now live on this network at 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. Uh, Buck Sexton uh, and I talked about this in depth, and I told him I believe, as I've, I've been saying for days now, that Trump, Mattis, and Tillerson are working this, and, and they're triangulating around Kim Jong-un. And Trump is out there distracting him while Tillerson's working diplomacy and McMaster is making sure that God forbid, or Mattis is making sure that God forbid we need to defend ourselves or take steps that, that we will and we can and we're ready. So I believe this is all coming together in terms of th- this to me is the strongest the Trump administration has looked since uh, Donald Trump gave the OK to launch the cruise missiles against the Syrians and their, their uh, gas attacks on, on their own people. To me, it's absolutely the best thing we've seen. So I give them high marks on this one. Now, is this enough to save a potential change in uh, control of the House and the Senate in 2018 as we're rounding the corner on just about 14 months before the next election? I don't know. I really don't know. And I mentioned uh, that earlier in this week that we talked about how how ironic it would be that because of the way California's districts are laid out, it actually could be California that saves control of the House for the GOP. There are a bunch of districts that are fairly so strong in the red zone that you're not going to be able to flip them. The Democrats are working overtime right now to lay out scenarios where they can turn red districts blue. And they're working pretty hard, but there are nine districts in California that are so solidly red, that looks like it would almost make flipping the house impossible, which does wonders for keeping that giant gavel out of the hands of Nancy Pelosi. And one of those things that I think is uh, really strong, really strong. And that, but now the Senate. As you know, we have a 52 to 48 majority in the Senate. Not, not big enough to do anything, apparently, if you look at the last few months. But in the Senate, there are probably 10 seats that could be flipped. Now, the Senate doesn't do what the House does. Every two years, pretty much a third of the Senate rolls over. And depending on how it rolls over you have one side more vulnerable than the other. And in this case, I believe it's 24 Democratic seats are up and I think eight Republican seats. So that means there are a whole lot more Democrats who could be on thin ice this year. And if that's the case, and some of those seats flip, you could be talking about 
either a gigantic shift that would push more power towards the GOP, possibly even that 60-vote threshold that the Democrats had when they shoved Obamacare down our throats, or it could mean that the Democrats could take back control of the Senate. I want to get into that. I want to look at a few of these seats. I know it's wonky, it's geeky, but I think it's important, and we'll do that next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. Keeping an eye on stuff uh, as we're getting ready to wander into this uh, discussion about the Senate, which I think is important, and seats that could flip in 2018, but also, also watching a report that says apparently the North Koreans have put their civil defense people on alert. That's always good news, isn't it? Isn't that great, gang, that the North Koreans have put their civil defense people on alert? No, not not good. Uh, I, I'm thinking this is just uh, their their response to our response because I don't think it's that big of a deal after all. I, I agree with the majority of you. I think we're going to... Uh, we're actually going to ratchet it down and cooler heads will prevail and uh, there'll be some statement. But again, I, I don't know if we're going to have the um, the actual deal like the ones we we had in the past where North Korea says, oh, yeah, we're going to suspend our program. We're going to dismantle our program. We're going to do that. So uh, I, I'm hoping for a ratcheting down in a uh, diminished rhetoric, and nobody fires at anybody. But I really don't like North Korea having nuclear weapons. Now, that said, waiting to hear from a lot of, uh, a lot of senators. It seems like most of the people rushing to the microphones, other than the occasional Lindsey Graham statement and the occasional John McCain statement, are Democrats who are losing their minds saying that we're going to, oh, Trump's rhetoric, Trump's rhetoric. Why is he siding with the Russians and thanking them for sending home our diplomats? All the drama that we're seeing. But I'd like to see, I'd like to, I'd like to see the Senate change in 2018 and get into the hands of a stronger Republican Party. But that would mean we'd have to get some better candidates in there. Now, I think the Democrats are really quite vulnerable. And I think, uh, I think there's actually a chance that if you, if you really played your cards right, if you really got strong candidates, you could see the Republicans getting close to 60. Now, you have a few problems, like Arizona and Nevada. Those are the ones that stand out that you actually could, could lose a seat in Arizona and Nevada. And God knows what's going to happen. I, I hate to even bring this up, but John McCain's not healthy. 
John McCain, I, I believe at any, any juncture, because of his age and the cancer that he has, might decide that it's just time for him to relax a little bit. The guy has fought so many battles in his life. I don't know why you would want to, unless, unless this is all you feel comfortable doing. But I look at Nevada and Arizona as possible sore points for the GOP. So if you lose both of those, now you're down to 50. But then, if we're to be optimistic and we're, we're, we are to look at places like Indiana, where Donnelly, the Democrat, could be quite vulnerable, especially if Mike Pence retains his popularity in that state, which I think he's doing. I think you could see a, a GOP candidate move into Indiana and really help that economy and help the Republicans in the Senate. I think in Ohio, Sherrod Brown who has been a growling thorn in, in the GOP side for, well, the better part of a year now since the convention and now the election, I think Sherrod Brown could be at risk. In Florida, I think Bill Nelson could be at risk. Imagine turning Ohio and Florida. And then you look at places like West Virginia, where Joe Manchin is in a state that's red, whose governor just turned to a, a red governor from a blue governor. And Manchin is a guy who stood by the Democrats all during the battle over Obamacare. Could this be time for Manchin either to switch parties? Or would Joe Manchin be one of the early victims of this change? See, I, I think that's... That's a, a big possible deal. You get a strong candidate in West Virginia. Manchin's an incumbent. It's hard to beat an incumbent. But the, the leanings, and again, Governor Justice switched parties two weeks ago with Donald Trump by his side. I'm telling you, Joe Manchin, who says uh, he doesn't really, well, I can't say what he said. I'd be thrown off the air. Now, there's a bunch of different people who could challenge Manchin. One of those being, uh, being uh, Evan Jenkins, a guy who did switch parties. And there's, uh, there's a, an attorney general who could, who could be uh, in there, too. So we're seeing. Now, in Arizona... In Arizona, we mentioned Arizona could be a, a trouble spot with, with uh, Jeff Flake. He's got to get through a primary. And there's a lot of money pushing back against Flake. So uh, Democrats, they're, they're putting up a couple of different people. The uh, mayor of Phoenix, Greg Stanton, is in there. And uh, another congressional representative, Sinema. Uh, Representative Sinema wants a shot. She could give uh, any Republican a tough call there. But Flake has voted with the president on some big issues. So he might have the power of the president behind him. Now, if we go to some other strange states, um, for example, 
I'm not going to discount uh, any chance that Kid Rock has, but I'm just dubious of that in Michigan as many times as I'd like to see that change. But a place like Missouri where Claire McCaskill has uh, been pretty comfortable there. But I think part of the party is is pulling away from people like McCaskill. Uh, Trump won Missouri. And um, Roy Blunt was reelected there. But the Republicans could make a dent in Missouri. So I'm, I'm looking at Missouri, Indiana, West Virginia, Montana, North Dakota, Wisconsin, Ohio, and Florida. If the GOP was able to go into those states and flip each one of those, and then maybe hang on, hang on in Arizona, and hang on in Nevada, and maybe a couple other outliers, that would give you 60 votes in the Senate. And if you've got 60 votes in the Senate, you'd be able to do just about anything, wouldn't you? You'd be able to change the health care in this country, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's exactly how it happened for the Democrats in 2008. And that's how Obamacare got shoved down our throats. I know it's a long ways off. I'm just throwing out some nerdy head stuff. When we get back, we'll have some of the silly stuff. Come on back after the break. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Pure Opelka with Mike Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Pure Opelka. You know, it's almost back to school time, isn't it? <laughs> almost, almost time for back to school and all those back to school commercials. Well, the new school in New York City, it's a, it's a special school in New York City. Artsy fartsy. They have put out a special memo from the Office of Student Health Services. On the topic of microaggressions. Yes, this is the equivalent of handing out a pamphlet to everybody who comes to school. And this is an effort to help the snowflakes survive in New York City. Let me tell you something. If you're going to school in New York City, you've already gone through a tougher boot camp than most of the other armies around the world. If you're able to get to a class in New York City, and the new school is located right in the heart of Manhattan, then you've already passed some incredible survival tests, just if you're riding the subway. So to think that they'd have to put out this little guide to microaggressions, it just it irks me. What is a microaggression? Microaggression shows up as brief and commonplace verbal behavioral or environmental indignities. 
environmental indignities. Whether intentional or not, these indignities communicate a hostile, derogatory, or negative slight or insult towards a targeted group. Lately, joining the targeted groups of the microaggression, the plus-sized among us. I know, I know. We all fight the battle. They're, all of us feel like we could lose 5 or 10 or 50 or whatever poundage. But now, the new school even points out that these, the chairs, the you know the desks that are all in one? They have the, the seat connected to the desktop and you just kind of slide in and put your notebook down or your laptop down on the, on the desk. Yeah, they're saying that, that those, those standard size desks now, they're a microaggression to plus sized people. I'm not kidding you. And the new school has put out this, this online pamphlet to help you recognize, help you apologize, and help you realize your privilege. I'm not kidding. There's an actual section entitled, What if I'm a microaggressor? Congratulations, you realize that you microaggressed. Although it's still unacceptable, recognizing and admitting oppressive language, behavior, and thoughts is not the norm and is necessary to practice anti-oppression. It also feels good to admit our faults and to seek to change them. The first thing you do is apologize. And there's even a guide. You can click on the button on how to apologize. And these come from the keys to constructing an effective apology from psychology today. I can't believe we actually have a guide on how to apologize. If you're genuinely sorry, I think it comes from the heart. But here are the keys. Here are the six steps to an effective apology. Number one, a clear I'm sorry statement. An expression of regret for what happened. Isn't that kind of folded into the I'm sorry? Number three, an acknowledgement that social norms or expectations were violated. Again, isn't that part of the apology? Number four, this is step four. An empathy statement, acknowledging the full impact of our actions on the other person. Number five, a request for forgiveness. And number six, an explanation of what you'll do to prevent it from happening again. My God, we're terrible people. Apologize. Tell them I'm sorry it happened. I will work to make sure it doesn't happen again. And let's move on. We have become the wimpiest, whiniest bunch of people on the planet. And I cannot believe that we actually have to have a section that teaches people how to apologize when they're going to the new school on West 12th Street in Midtown Manhattan. I didn't even click on the realizing your privilege part of things. But if you want to do it too, I should tweet out a link to this. And this is, just so you know, to realize your privilege was adapted and borrowed, as they say, 
from everydayfeminism.org. Privilege is the other side of oppression. A set of unearned benefits given to people who fit into a specific social group. Folks who do not fit into certain privileged categories, and then they list them for us, white, male, straight, Christian, white, male, straight, Christian. So those are all privileged categories. So if, you've, if you are white, if you are male, if you are straight, and you are Christian, you've got four stars of privilege, don't you? Well, if, if you don't fit into those categories, you face oppression because their identities, due to all of the ways society disenfranchises those identities and lived experiences. For example, same-sex couples denied access to adopt children. Well, that's not happening anymore. Or public spaces. That's not happening anymore. Or resources. That's not happening anymore. They make daily life harder for oppressed individuals or deny them rights and opportunities afforded to others. No. This is why no one's learning. Because we are obsessed with the apology culture. We're obsessed with trying to solve problems that don't exist. We're obsessed with stupid stuff. I wonder what the person in charge of dealing with the microaggressions and putting up all of the news and information about microaggressions, I wonder what that person makes. Because, you know, we read, we read earlier this year, and this happened earlier this year, I think it was April of this year, that we learned Clemson University in South Carolina spent more than $25,000 on diversity education and training for the faculty. There was a PowerPoint presentation that faculty members had to go and sit through and once they, they completed it, they were offered um, mugs and T-shirts as a reward for completing the diversity or inclusion training, diversity education training. And there's a, a person whose job it is to be in charge of this diversity and inclusion program. And after I read this, I remember reading this, and inside this this PowerPoint, there's actually a presentation that talks about the fact that if someone's late for class, you can't, you can't call them out for it because, because that's racist. Can you imagine? I'm going to tell you a little story. I was cost an entire grade level. I was studying classical literature and translation at Trinity University. Yes, I know. It's a little bit of a heady subject for a, a bottom dweller like myself. But I studied classical literature and translation. And unfortunately, that class was at 11 o'clock in the morning. But at 1030 every day, Jeopardy was on. I'm not kidding you. And we had a fierce Jeopardy tournament in the dorm. Now, the dorm was halfway across the damn campus. But I wasn't about to give up a Jeopardy tournament. So I would stay until the final Jeopardy answer, complete it, and then sprint to my classical literature and translation class. And most days I would make it just about on time. 
But it was virtually every day that semester, that fall semester, I was the last person in class, the person who was sneaking in as the professor was closing the door, as Dr. Krieger was closing the door. And at the end of the semester, he asked me, "Can um, can I ask you why you plan the class you have before this? Uh, to be so tight that you're here virtually late every day. And I said, I don't have a class before this one, not realizing that I should have made something up. I told him, I I don't have a class before this one. He goes, then why are you late? Every day you're late. Why? And I told him the truth. I told him that Jeopardy was on and we had a wicked tournament every day in the dorm. And he stared at me and he shook his head and he said, you're, you're kidding, right? I said, no. No, it's, a, it's America's favorite answer and question game. And we actually play and we kind of, we might have been betting beer money on it. I, I'm just saying we didn't have the electronics you people have today. And Dr. Krieger took me aside after the class that day and he said, I appreciate your honesty, but I'm going to dock you an entire grade point for the semester because Jeopardy, a game show, was more important to you than classical literature in my class. Had I known that my tardiness and the punishment I received could have been called racism, I might have had a higher GPA that semester. But no, that was not the case because we didn't have the kinds of social justice warrior action that we have today. We didn't have the kind of people out there standing up for people like me. Just didn't exist. Now, before we went on the air today, I reached out to Clemson University to ask them if, in fact, this program is still in place, if, in fact, they are still teaching the faculty that tardiness to class, if you bring it up, is racism. The department in charge of the, the uh, training, the diversity training, where the guy earns, I think it's well over $250,000 a year for, for forcing these classes on the teachers, uh, they would not respond and sent me to the media office. And the media office told me they were going to have to look into it. I think it's still in force. As a matter of fact, When we come back, I'll play you Chuck Woolery's statement on Clemson University that came out just yesterday. That's next on Pure Opelka. You're listening to Pure Opelka on the Blaze Radio Network. Pelka with Michael Pelka on the Blaze Radio Network. You know, before we get out of here, just one more time, I want to remind you, I want to suggest to you, I want to strongly recommend you, you reach out to Relief Factor. I was having a, um, a serious doubt about whether or not I was going to be able to continue my active lifestyle. And uh, in April, I started taking Relief Factor, which was designed to reduce inflammation in our joints. 
It's a combination of botanicals and wild harvested fish oil. And that combination works with your body to reduce the inflammation, and inflammation is what causes pain. And I had pain in my knees and in my hips and my lower back. And it's from all the marathoning and training I did years ago. But in, in eight days after I started taking Relief Factor, I noticed positive results. And 80% of the people who get the three-week quick start pack reorder it. So I suspect they're having the same results. The three-week quick start pack is $19.95. It's like cheaper than a cup of coffee a day. So why wouldn't you try it? Go to relieffactor.com. Pick up the phone and call them at 800-500-8384. 800-500-8384. It is Relief Factor. Over a million sold and 80% of those people are picking it up again. All right. I hope it works for you. I, I promised you something from, um, from our buddy Chuck Woolery. Chuck is part of uh, Blunt Force Truth on the internets. And he was talking about the Clemson thing yesterday, too. This is what he had to say. Just when you thought college campuses couldn't get any more socialist or stupid, Clemson University comes along and lowers the bar even more. The new diversity program says it's racist to hold someone accountable for being late. According to their PowerPoint presentation, time is experienced differently based on culture. We need to reorganize and respect these differences, not respect the time of people waiting for someone to arrive. They claim that punctuality is a specific trait only possessed by, you guessed it, white people, which I'm pretty sure is an actual racist remark in itself. Professors it, that complete the training... It is an actual racist remark in itself. Chuck Woolery is uh, scheduled to join us next week, so I'm very excited about that. We're going to talk about blunt force truth with Chuck sometime next week. He's a guy that I ran into years ago at CPAC in Washington, D.C., and I'll be happy to have him on. Uh, we're going to be here tomorrow morning starting at 6 o'clock. I hope you will be here. I have a bunch of stories I didn't get to today, some pretty stupid and silly stories. So Saturday morning, 6 a.m. on the Blaze Radio Network. It's going to be a tad less serious unless all hell breaks loose in North Korea, which I don't think it will. I have faith in the big guy upstairs and, of course, the Twitter poll that agrees with me. Testudo, my friends. Testudo. Pure Opelka. With Michael Opelka. On the Blaze Radio Network.